I want to talk to you today about Jesus as our peace and how it is that Christians live to get down and dirty as servants. And we're going to look at John 13, 1 through 20 today. Have you ever thought about how complete the idea of peace really is? I mean, just how comprehensive it is in, in, its, in its essence when it, is, when it comes in its fullness. You know, typically we think of peace as the absence of turmoil, uh, the absence of chaos, the absence of a condition that disrupts, right? Uh, uh, the absence uh, of violence or the absence of conflict among people. When we think about weather, we think about the absence of storms, right? Or we just think about Missouri weather, right? The absence of peace is Missouri weather pretty much, right? Except for a day like today when it's perfecto mundo. Now, y'all knew I didn't know I could speak Spanish, did you? We also think of it as the absence of, of chaos in the heart and in the mind, right? So when there's clarity, when there's certainty, there's an absence of, of confusion and clutter, and that, that brings a peace to our lives. You see, all of these are peace, and, and all of them are wrought by the removal of chaos, disorder, friction, conflict, turmoil, violence, etc. And, and I just would start today and, and say, how many of us could use a little more of this kind of peace in our life? In some order, in some place, right? And from a biblical perspective, these are all accurate. You can find illustrations, countless illustrations of all of these uh, examples of peace in the scriptures. But it's not a complete picture of what peace is all about. And we talk about this. We understand that from a biblical perspective, peace is not principally defined as the absence or removal but it's principally defined as the coming and the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, there is removal that's included in Jesus' peace. But I want you to see today there's also a readiness that biblical peace brings to our life. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus gives peace with God that sends Christians to share and to serve as servants in the world. Let's go to John chapter 13 and consider the words of the gospel writer. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. What John does for us here is he provides what I'd call a multifaceted context of all that is taking place between Jesus and his disciples. We get to see insight into this story that the people who are in the story have no clue about. First of all, we see a timeline to Jesus' coming crucifixion. Friends, the remainder of everything that John writes from chapter 13 through the end of his chapter is not, excuse me, actually through chapter 18, is not written for all. It's written specifically for his disciples. And while all can read and benefit from it, his disciples have greater understanding and insight and meaning of application into it. And we see this timeline because Jesus' coming crucifixion is drawing near. And we see these most encouraging words, how he loved them to the very end. Jesus never quit on us. And we also see the spirit world, which is something we don't see often in our life today. But we see this one named Judas who became the devil's advocate among the disciples in order to betray Jesus. And while the disciples couldn't see any of this, John affords us the insight to tell us Jesus knew all of this. You see, more important than what Jesus knew about Satan's work in Judas was that he knew all that the Father had given him, John said. We not only get insight into the timeline and into the spirit world, we have insight into the heart of God here. Jesus knew what the Father had given him to do, and that is what held him on course. You see, love is the motive for Jesus. From becoming a man to dying as a man to his resurrection. You might say first in coming to us true in living a righteous holy life. Most in dying for us completely to make atonement for our sin. And last in such a way that would never end. Jesus was faithful all the way to the end because he obeyed in perfect love. After supper, Jesus rose from the table and it says he took a towel and he tied it around him and he began washing the disciples' feet. And here we have a vivid description that really leaves no doubt in the way John writes it. Jesus just literally froze the room as his disciples saw what he was doing. Everybody immediately got nervously, tensiously nervous in their discomfort because of what Jesus was doing. And so Peter speaks up. 
well, that's a surprise. Right? And he demands that Jesus never wash his feet because he understands that he's unworthy. And Jesus tells him that what he's doing is actually providing a greater understanding. And if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no share with me. And Peter says, wash my whole body. Yes. Is there not always one that takes it too far? Right? I mean, Peter can't get it right on this end and he doesn't get it right on this end. And that should be a great comfort for us. It is for me. Because I usually miss on both accounts myself. Jesus uses vivid act of serving in order to illustrate this point that his death would become the ultimate act of service for people. You see, in crucifixion, Jesus becomes the eternal Passover lamb who offers the ultimate service in sacrifice to take away our sin. It is the blood of the Passover lamb that washes us clean from sin's stain over all of life. Jesus' blood, the scriptures tell us, cleanses us, sets us free, makes peace with God, and brings us near to God. You see, salvation is only by Jesus' washing and never by our works. Jesus says it distinguishes us from the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Christians, because of it, the washing of Jesus' blood, Hebrews tells us, are able to run to the throne of God with absolute, full, certain assurance that He will welcome us and waits for us. You see, friends, all who believe in Jesus are washed from sin's stain and given peace with God. Peter was right, but he had more to learn. He wasn't worthy, but he was greatly loved. And the one who in the prior chapter of the gospel was anointed as worthy of all willingly bows down in this chapter to wash feet. Friends, no one is worthy, the scriptures tell us. But we are greatly loved by a merciful God. And Jesus, who is the Son of Man, humbly bowed down to become the Passover Lamb to atone for our sin, that he might, or excuse me, that we might be washed in his blood and given peace with God. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What I want to do today with this passage is I want to appeal to all to believe in Jesus, to live in God's peace through Him by first of all heralding two truths that we see in this passage. And then I want us to see two principles by which Jesus offers in order to see how it is that we walk and live in that peace. And then I'm going to thread it all together with four applications. I know what you're thinking. I have no idea whether or not we're finished. That's what you're thinking, right? We will finish. 
I assure you. Can we celebrate and herald this first truth that we see here? It's simply this, that Jesus makes peace with God and frees us from all that separates us from God. What Jesus is showing to his disciples is that there will be an act of service that will soon come at the apex of Passover that will provide for them not the annual sacrifice, but the eternal once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Jesus captures an opportune moment in order to lead the disciples into this deeper understanding. Friends, I, 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 I want to celebrate this with us right now. You see, every story in the Gospels reveal how God works to draw us near to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. He's not just showing us something he's able to do that we might applaud him, but something he has done that we might worship him in this relationship. And here Jesus gives his attention to what it is that his coming death meant and how it is that we are to live in it that as we live out our lives. Friends, when we are tempted to question God, this we should remember in this truth, first of all. God sees, God knows, God cares, God loves, and God saves. Never forget that. And that's what this first truth reminds us of. That's what Jesus is taking the opportune moment to teach his disciples and to say to you and I here today, this, this is God. He sees, knows, loves, cares, and he saves. Have you ever washed someone's feet? I'm going to be honest with you. Dealing with other people's feet is not easy. L little piece of factual information many of you don't know about me, but there was about a year and a half of my life when I was a superior expert in the art of women's shoes. I have no idea how I got this job. But as a 16-year-old, I was hired to sell women's shoes. I'm not talking about like wear it one and done. I'm talking about the high-end stuff. Like in the, in the mid-80s, I'm selling shoes for triple digits. And I'm going to tell you what, there were three other women that worked with me. They couldn't touch me around Easter. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd make an annual salary at Easter. I would bend down and having to deal with the foot, that took a while for me to get used to. I'm not going to lie to you, I wasn't humble as a 16-year-old. And having to touch other people's feet was an issue. But I would bend down and put that shoe on that lady's foot. And I would look up and, man, this is magical. She'd buy one in every color. I'd go back to the back and they'd all be angry at me. Because they'd be coming in to ask, where's that young man who helps? In my opinion, the only thing harder than dealing with and washing another person's feet is having your own feet washed by someone else. I'm not talking about that pedicure appointment. But, but I'm talking about that act that represents how you want to relate to others in all of life. 
You see, friends, it is true that the motive and the purpose behind the action changes the nature and the level of difficulty of that action. And washing feet in the first century served multiple purposes. Hygiene, sanitariness, and all of those things. And and most of those we have little need of today. But what remains is one of weighty impact in what we are able to communicate through our service. Of others. Foot washing has been called the unofficial third ordinance of the church alongside baptism and Lord's Supper. In the 21st century Christianity, what we've done though is we've substituted serving too often as a high value with just simply the practice of awareness. We'll freely engage in retweets, in shares, and even the, the occasional rant on issues that are trending for the day. Yet while our fingers are fast to boost awareness, few are willing to get the dirt and the grit of actually serving under their fingernails of those same fingers. Serving's weighty demand often prevents one from even considering it as an option. And Jesus serves by his sacrifice that we might have peace with God for all who believe. His sacrifice cleanses and sets us free from all that separates us from God. And this is the first truth with which we honor and worship the only one who is worthy today. Because those who believe in Jesus have peace with God. We are cleansed and set free from all of sin's stain. Let's go back to the text and look at verses 12 through 20 and see how Jesus leads us on. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus says, I wash your feet to teach you that my crucifixion will make you clean before God, give you peace with God. And he says, I wash your feet to show you how you will tell the world of my life-giving sacrifice. What does a life of peace do for a Christ follower? The Bible tells us that it is the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ that shods our feet with a readiness for faithful witness and missional advancement. 
This is the peace of God, not only in our life, but placed upon our life. Are you readied to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth? That's where Jesus is directing the attention of the disciples in this passage. He explains what he's teaching, that believe in me changes the way a person lives. It's not just a possession to hold, but it is a truth by which we are held. It changes the way a person lives. To follow Jesus is not about wearing labels, but it's about living true to the Lord that we claim to believe in. And here's the second truth that we herald today and worship him. Jesus models a life of peace with God that readies one to live as a servant of God. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How can we claim the name of the only perfect man who lived to model a life of peace and died to give peace with God to all who believe, yet dare to live in a way counter to his life? Believing in Jesus brings peace with God that readies a Christ follower to live as a servant of God. I want you to understand today how it is that God's peace readies us to serve the gospel. Sometimes we talk about God's peace, friends, in such a way that to receive it is really just to fulfill an appointment at the salon. It's the removal of all of that conflict and everything that's out of kilter in our life and the bringing of something into us. But my purpose for you today is to see that the peace of God not only removes the stain of sin, but it brings the commissioning of the author of salvation. And it brings a readiness to us that comes right alongside with the removal of sin's stain. Jesus offers us two principles in this readiness. The first one we see in verse 16 when he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here's the first principle I want you to see. A servant is not greater than his master, nor the messenger than his commissioner. The peace of God through Jesus frees one from sin's slavery that we might become a slave to God. Romans chapter 6 verse 22 tells us a servant and a messenger will only act under the authority and the guidelines of the one in whom they serve. You see, too often, Christianity's message is purported as some form of this, Jesus died so I can be Lord. Oh, that's so close, but so wrong. Jesus died because he obeyed the Father who sent him as an atoning sacrifice for sin. God looked on Jesus' sacrifice before he could look on any of us, and he was pleased with that sacrifice. That's why all hell broke loose on the earth, that the temple curtain might be rent in two and done for, no longer rehung. And when he was pleased, sin was atoned, peace had been accorded 
made for us with God. And the Bible tells us that when he was put in the grave, on the third day he was raised up and he was given by God the Father a name of honor that at the name of Jesus every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth would bow to the honor and the authority of the name that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was given. You see, the Christian message is this, is not you can have a Lord, but Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Before you know him as Savior, you must confess him as Lord. And we often get that wrong. If you'll just take him on as Savior, he'll become Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. He's ruling today whether you're acknowledging and living under his lordship or not. The Christian message begins, Jesus is Lord. He's the one who gave his life that you might have peace with God and be free from sin. And if you will believe in him as Lord, he will become your personal Savior. Don't get that order wrong. Because it enthrones the wrong one. And just as the Christian message is that Jesus is Lord, the Christian life models this message that Jesus is worthy by a life of obedience to him as Lord. You know what it says here in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them, a faith that doesn't culminate in actions, not originate, culminate in actions, is not a saving faith. Let the Spirit of God sink deeply into your heart, Christian, to confirm that every area of your life is penetrated by a belief that brings you into peace with the living God and into relationship with Jesus as Lord. Christ's followers serve Jesus, whose name and authority they are sent to serve in a way that is learned from Him. Jesus said this, I'm not speaking to all of you. Well, that had to be awkward with 12, 13 people in the room, right? Okay. Christian, those who claim the name, is he speaking to you? Have you confessed with your heart by believing in him and with your mouth by uttering his name that Jesus is Lord? Or are you laying claim to something to profess it without being bothered by having to do it? Jesus knows. Do you? Christians have no authority to live any other way than obey. But in regards to obeying the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have all authority on earth 
and in heaven. Let me correct my English and properize it to help you understand this. There ain't nothing that can stop you from obeying Jesus except unbelief. In the second principle, Jesus tells how others will get to God as Christians serve Him. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Friends, this is the principle. When people receive the servant or the messenger, they receive the one who sent them. This is the aim of the Christian life. Not just in our words, but in everything. And so here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want to continue in this way. I want to take these two truths that we've heralded and these two principles by which Jesus has laid down an understanding of how we live out the peace that God has put on us through his sacrifice. And I want to provide four pointed applications that thread this passage together through the life of everyone who claims the name for Jesus. This is how this matters for Christians today. Application number one, Jesus served to make peace with God for our sin. We see this directly from the first truth. He served in a way that you and I and all people were completely unworthy of when he died in our place to make atonement for our sin. It wasn't his, it was all mine. But, but he gladly did it that we, those who believe, might be washed and freed from sin and have peace and reconciliation to God. Never forget how unworthy you were when Jesus willingly died for you and never question how greatly you've been loved by him. How willing Jesus was because it said he loved them, how? Last, to the very end because that's the only way God loves anyone. Never forget Never forget, only Jesus gives peace with God through believing in his atoning sacrifice. The second application I want you to see today is this, that peace with God readies a Christ follower to become a servant of Jesus' mission. Serving Jesus is not just about what he did, but it's also about how he lived too. That's what he is showing to the disciples. That's what he's teaching us right now when he takes up the towel and he ties it around his waist and he willingly bows himself down to do the most uh, uh, undignified act to the most unworthy of people in the room, but with the most willing of spirits to do it. You see, once you believe, friends, once you believe, you're readied as a servant of his mission because he lives in you. Once you believe, you are ready because the peace of God has readied you. Living as a servant of Jesus is about how you do all that you do. It's about how you say what you say. It's about how you think, your attitude, your inclination towards others and about yourself and about the world. 
It's about these things more than it's about just what you do. I hope this is sounding familiar to some of you. I hope some of you go, man, I think I've heard this before. Friends, a readiness to serve is determined by throwing off what entangles, throwing off what hinders, and throwing off what prevents more than how I am able, how I am accessible, yea, even how much I am available. Think about this. You, you could tell Jesus, look all that I can do for you. There's a lot of people trying to serve him in that way without throwing anything off. Think about how accessible or, or yay, even how available I am for you. I give a lot of time for you, Jesus. You know where that leads when that's the leading indicator of service? Burnout, frustration, anxiety, disillusionment with God. Leads to all of those things. You see, before you work it into your schedule, you need to let the gospel of Jesus Christ get worked more deeply into your heart and into your mind. When Christian lives in God's peace, it readies us because nothing's holding us back. Nothing, nothing within is saying, hey, wait a minute. Oh, I don't know if you ought to do that. There's no competing glory within us. There's no, there's no residing fear within us. There's no threat. There's no love that hinders our going that says, you know, if you go do this for him, it's going to cost you a lot, and that a lot's going to take away from me. And friends, to the extent that there is a competing glory, a remaining fear or threat or a competing love, that's the Spirit of God speaking to you about the extent to which you're believing. What if, what if the way we served as the church reflected and reminded us of the way Christ served us on the cross? And why doesn't it? That's exactly what Jesus is teaching us here. The way we receive one another, the way we welcome one another, the way that we come together with one another, the way we serve one another in, in, in every way should remind us of the way Jesus has served us. Those most ready to wash feet, friends, are those who've had their feet washed. Those who've had their feet washed. The one most ready to serve Jesus is the one who most knows they've been saved. Who most knows what it is they've been saved from. Who most knows of the work of the gospel within and what it is that it can do for others. I have found in pastoral ministry that it's not really about what surrounds people that hinders them from engaging in mission. Rather, it's what resides within that prevents them. Some, shame, oh, I could never. That's also a false humility. But some genuinely believe they're not good enough to serve God. Some genuinely believe or genuinely purport that they're not good enough as a sham because they don't want to acknowledge the real thing. Some fear what it might cost, what it might lead to, what it might result in. Some just don't want to be discomforted. Don't mess with that. I got my appointment from a pedicure. I'll let that work. I'm not picking on you if you get pedicures. I couldn't care less. It just fit, you know. Some care too much about status with others. What would I look like if people knew I did this? Here's what American Christianity proves. Fear is a bigger demotivator than threat of life is. Because in a nation who has greater freedom 
than any nation in the history of humanity. We've paled in comparison to the spread of the gospel in nations under the severest of persecutions where threat of life is imminent and ongoing every moment of the day. Should we be condemned by that? No. But what we should be is discerning of our own hearts in light of that. God's peace washes us from all that hinders, beginning with what is within. Living in Jesus' peace readies one to serve so others know God's love and that God wants to save them in Jesus Christ. Here's the third application that I offer to you today is that living in God's peace leads you to get down and dirty serving the unworthy. Serving people who are worthy makes sense. It just doesn't make much impact. Jesus says this, when you love people who love you, what have you really done? The unrighteous do that. That's the way the world works, is what he says. Serving people who don't deserve it, that's most Christ-like. He's not saying don't serve people who are worthy, ever. But he's saying don't use that as a way to dismiss those who are unworthy and even to give focus to it. You see, serving that matters is when we serve people who scoff at us, people who will scorn us, who will ridicule and reject us, who will even lash out at us and hate us with a greater intensity because of our service. That's where serving really starts to matter. You see, what Jesus sent us to do is to be done in the way that he did it. The spirit of a servant We were on vacation a few years ago in D.C., and we were in a a small taco bar, and it was kind of crowded with people at the lunch hour on Sunday, and there were people everywhere out on the streets, and and all of a sudden, this lady came in who was uh, visibly, uh, obviously a homeless person, and, and when she came in, she immediately became very loud and demanding of food and of drink. And this obviously had not been the first time she visited this taco bar. Probably on a regular basis, the manager stepped out, gave her some water, and she looked like she knew that's all she was going to get, all she ever got. And she was ushered out the building. Well, we all kind of went back and finished our tacos quickly, realizing that happens again. We're hung in here. There's no back exit. So we got out. As we leave, my daughter takes her day pack. She pulls out four or five snacks that she's prepared. She walks up to the lady who's standing on the sidewalk outside the taco bar, taps her on the shoulder and says, Ma'am, if you're hungry, you can have my snacks. And the lady turns around with one of the rudest titles she can label her with, barks at her and says, I don't want your food. I saw it coming the whole way. Kristen and Joshua had walked ahead and I was walking behind because if it became more than that, I was going to step in. I knew what was about to happen, but I couldn't stop it. Because I didn't want to squash what started it in Bethany's heart. But I also didn't want to stop what it was going to produce in the situation. I wanted her to learn from it. Serving people doesn't get them into a relationship with Jesus. It does show them Jesus. Friends, the world is full of unworthy, dead, hell-bound people waiting on Jesus' servants. And peace with God through Jesus Christ brings a Christ follower into the heart of God's redemptive mission in the world where unworthy people await the good news of a worthy peacemaker. Here's the fourth application. Ridicule 
rejection, and persecution do not stop us, nor do they serve as a sign to stop a Christian from serving. If rejection in any form is justifiable for stopping gospel mission, then Jesus would have dismissed his betrayer before he demonstrated the gospel. Are you catching me there? He would have issued Judas out of the room before he tied the towel around his waist and bowed down to wash his feet. But the last act that Jesus did to Judas before Judas found him in the garden and kissed him on the cheek was he washed his feet. Judas ate with Jesus. Judas had his feet washed by Jesus. Jesus knew he was at the table, yet it didn't stop him from serving him. When he was ridiculed and rejecting for serving Jesus' mission, when we are ridiculed and rejected, it's not about us. They're rejecting Jesus. Jesus says people will hate you because they hated me first. You see, friends, the Christian's identity, our worth is not found in the ones to whom we go or even in the work in which we do, but it is anchored in the one in whose name we are sent. This is where our identity is anchored. This is where our authority resides. This is where our worth is found. This is the potency of Jesus' teaching of how it is that God's peace readies us for mission. We're not looking for validation. We're not looking for acceptance. We're going because we've got it. And we will not be stopped because you can't stop. Jesus' love. Christians serve because we've been served by Jesus and we've been made his servants by the peace that he's brought to us. Rejection and ridicule do not, do not stop, nor are they assigned to stop. Rather, they typically affirm just how dirty sin really is. Just how twisted and deceiving it is. And when serving is hard, know that Jesus is working on the hardest part of sin in the world through you. And when serving is hard, know that the gospel's sanctifying work is breaking through the deepest and the hardest part of sin in you. For the gospel is always the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Always at all times. Serving sanctifies our life, making us more like Jesus who is our life. Do not give up, Christian. Do not stop serving Jesus just because of a little persecution or ridicule or even absolute rejection. What God is doing in you and what God is doing through you is far greater than anything that will ever get done to you when you are serving him. Don't ever forget that. It's a vision for this church. I, I want Christ followers who want to wash feet. So much that they go looking at a down low level for dirty feet to wash, towel in hand, ready. January is the Sanctity of Human Life Month. 
And in order to value life, let me just conclude by savoring something among us and hoping and praying that it helps compel us to greater acts in Jesus' name. Many life pointers are down and dirty to help. Down and dirty to help the poor and the marginalized in our region. I thank you for that. Many life pointers are down and dirty to fight for the unborn by serving pregnant ladies in crisis. The answer is always a better solution to the problems of this world than any accusation will be. They're working down and dirty to set slaves free from trafficking in every form. Thank you. Thank you. Working with the down and dirty to see justice prevail. Thank you. Thank you. And friends, not the only way that life point is serving in our city, but, but the, excuse me, these are not the only ways, but, but they're some of the dirtiest. But listen to me. Many serve to battle social ills in our city as a vocation to educate, to, to improve the quality of life, to ease suffering and to make, more, uh, make life more bearable, to make life more joyful. And I say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Live as a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and vocation may not be the way that you address the social ills of our city, but all Christians should live and serve in the spirit of a servant so that whatever you do, you bring the regular application of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear upon people's life for a maximum impact. Humility! is without end in its influence and its impact. May we be ready and willing to bow down and get dirty regardless of what the activity is in order to show people the love of God which is never ending in this world. I close with this. You cannot do everything and you can't serve everyone. But everyone can serve in the spirit of a servant and do something to serve someone. Let's pray.